We are in uh, part five of our series through Jonah. We're calling this The Man Who Ran and The God Who Ran After. And we are sort of at the halfway point, both in terms of the book's content and in terms of our series. And if you want to catch up with us, we're on page 645 if you're tagging along in, in the, uh, the Bibles that happen to be under the seats. Um, and we get to a point in the story where Jonah gets a second chance. And so I, I want to ask this of you. Have you ever gone through a season or a period of life or a circumstance in your life where you experienced a failure, but you did not experience a second chance at recouping from that failure? Anybody ever experienced something like that? No, I'm the only one, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's just me. <laughs> okay. Th- thank you very much for the support. Uh, I think all of us experience that in some cases. Maybe more of us could tell stories of things that we didn't get a, we, we had to, a failure in, but we got a second chance for. Uh, but oftentimes, we don't get a second chance, right? Uh, this was fresh in my mind yesterday, because Mandy and I, after we were exhausted coming home, or I was exhausted coming home from, from helping out to, to raise money yesterday, uh, we were watching some TV, and the Olympic trials were on. And uh, if you know anything about the Olympic trials, people spend massive chunks of their life getting ready for a two-week event, right? Years and years, some of them since before they can even remember, were doing the activity that they're invested in so that they could go to one event for two weeks and do well at that one event. And so we're watching uh, some of the races, and, and there was a, a women's race that was going on. And uh, some of the women, they're going through all the blocks and saying their story and their history. Some of these women have been trying out for the Olympics and failing for like 12 years. Think of how much time that is to invest yourself from the time you were little all the way till the time you're an adult going to the trials for the Olympics because your one dream is to make it to those two weeks in London or China or wherever it happens to be that year and do well for your country because that's all you've known. And so we're we're watching the the race, and the top three in this particular race are going to go on to the Olympic Games. And so we're watching everything, and, and the strongest runners, they emerge from the pack, and they move forward, and there are joy and jubilation for those people. The, the women are jumping up and down because their dreams are fulfilled. And I always wonder what it's like for the person that comes in fourth, right? To be so close to fulfilling your dream. I can't imagine, like, three-hundredths of a second from fulfilling your lifelong dream and you cross the finish line, you look up on the board, and it says fourth. What if you were trying out for the Olympic Games for the last 12 years? How would you feel? Where's my second chance, right? I've gotten sort of a second, third, fourth chance, but I haven't fulfilled any of those chances. And we watch those Olympic Games, and I think we cheer for the people that finish well, which I think we should do, But we always see ourselves as being part of that top crop of runners and not number four. And so when a number four finish comes along in our life and we don't get a second chance at that opportunity, what do you do? 
Because you've got to do something with that, right? You can't just let it sit there. You have to resolve that tension somehow. And some of these racers who spent their lives doing this, they spend years and years trying to unpack and unfold the fallout that comes from three hundredths of a second. That's some pressure, right? All of us, though, I think we operate on some kind of level which says within us we deserve a second chance. And sometimes those second chances, they just don't come, do they? This is a really uplifting sermon. How are you guys feeling so far? (laughs) Preach it, right? (laughs) I know. Let's let's pray. (laughs) So if the bad news is sometimes we really don't get a second chance in life, the good news is that we do serve and know a God of second chances. Do we not? Our, our God, the, the God that we serve, the God that we know through the Bible and through our experience as a Christian community, is a God of second chances. He does give second chances frequently, right? And we're going to see the biggest, the biggest expression of that is actually the cross. So so the question that we want to kind of wrestle with at this point is, if we've lived our lives thinking that in some level, in some way, on some basic understanding, we deserve a second chance, but some people don't get it, and yet we serve a God who gives second chances, why in the world does God give second chances, and to who? So this is kind of the the question that we're going to wrestle with as we turn ourselves back to Jonah and find out what he's been up to, right? So we're in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to just do the first three verses of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Here's a second chance for you, Jonah, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went where? Not to Tarshish this time, right? He goes to Nineveh. He goes to where he's supposed to go. According to the word of the Lord... Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So let's recap a little bit of where Jonah's been. How did this whole thing kick off? What happened? What the first verse of the of the this whole book? God did what? Right. God gives Jonah a mission, but He gives Jonah a mission on the basis of what? Jonah. Was Jonah a prophet before he got this this mission to go? Yeah, and we talked about that in the very first week. Jonah had been given an identity as a prophet. You are to go and to speak my words to those who know me and don't yet know me. So he gives him this identity. And then on the basis of that identity, he says, Jonah, i got a task for you that's going to test your identity. So I've given you a mission. Now, what does Jonah do with that mission? He's out of there, right? As far away as he can possibly get. So Jonah rebels against the mission that that God has for him based on his identity. End of story? No. What's God do? He chases him down, right? He hunts after him. He says, oh, no, 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 no. You're not getting away that easy. I'm bringing everything I possibly can into your life to save you from yourself, right? That's essentially what God does. 
and so based on that, what does Jonah eventually do? What's that? He submit. He he. Re, the the word that the the story uses is that he remembers the Lord. Right. He, he suddenly comes to his senses and he remembers who he is and who God is. And then based on that remembering, God now, we see in chapter 3, gives Jonah a second chance at a first opportunity. So let me ask this, because here's the question we have to, to sort of wrestle with. Why does God give Jonah a second chance? Why, why doesn't the story end with, so God was done with Jonah and he used someone else and the story goes forward with them? I think that's the the question that we need to wrestle with because the answer to that question for Jonah, why does God give him a second chance, is the same answer when it comes to second chances in our lives. The same answer that we get from Jonah's life is the same answer that we get for our lives. And so I'm going to give you kind of the big idea up front and answer that question, and then we're going to work out the implications of it. God gives second chances not based on who we are, but who he is. Right? He gives second chances based on who he is, not who we are. And he gives second chances not because we measure up in some way, but because he's gracious. You see that? He gives second chances because of who he is, and who he is is a gracious God who does give second chances. And it's never based on our performance. And so we're going to see that a, a little bit. But it kind of works like a, a loving father, right? Wh- whose son walks away from him. And the father pursues after him, looking to restore that relationship. Th- that's God's disposition towards Jonah, and it's also towards all of us. And so the, the definition of that is grace. For God to be gracious, he has to have something called grace. I know we've talked about that term a little bit, but I want to introduce you kind of to a a new definition of the term and see if it doesn't resonate with you, okay? So, So here's the definition that we're going to kind of play with today. That grace is an unconditional gift to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. I'm going to say that again. It's an unconditional gift to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. So if you get a gift from someone and it has conditions on it, it's not grace. Sometimes, let's say your your parents uh, buy you a brand new car. And they say, here you go, here's a brand new car. And you say, wow, thanks mom and dad, that's incredible. And then their next sentence is, and oh, by the way, you need to drive us around for the next 20 years. There's a stipulation there, right? It's not without strings. There's conditions to it. What if the person deserves the gift? They've worked really hard, let's say at an education, right? They've given thousands and thousands of dollars to go to college, and they've worked their butt off to get straight A's, and then they get to graduation. Does that person deserve a diploma? Yeah, they're a deserving person. And so in that scenario, it's not grace. How about from an unobligated giver? If somebody is obligated to give you something, if you've done something in their life and then you expect something in return for what you've done, 
They're obligated in some way to fulfill that for you. Let's say you loan somebody $1,000, and then five years later, they give you a gift of $1,000. That's an obligated gift, right? Probably plus interest. You wouldn't say to that person, if they gave you $1,000 plus 5% interest, that you'd go, wow, what a gracious gift. No, you expected it, yes? It's It's an obligated gift. So grace is unconditional gift, undeserving person, unobligated giver. And so we're going to look at Jonah's story and see how this definition kind of plays itself out in four particular ways, okay? So, so the first is this. We see through Jonah's second chance that God doesn't hold grudges with us, or with Jonah for that matter. God doesn't hold grudges with us. They're not like your great aunt that expects you to show up every Easter Sunday, because you're obligated to. And when you don't, they resent you for it. God does not hold a grudge against you, even when you feel like you're under condemnation. See, we pick up a lot of our understanding about who God is from our parents, both good and bad. And and so if you've ever had a father who kind of never trusted you with anything in life, and every time he gave you something, he'd rip it back out of your hands because you couldn't be trusted with it. Or, or let's say you had a, a mom who would do nice things for you and then expect you to perform for the next 20 years and, and do things according to her time schedule and her priorities rather than yours. What happens is a lot of that understanding on a subconscious level works its way into our understanding of God. And we begin to relate to him as if he's our unwieldy parent. But God doesn't work that way. And we see it in Jonah's story. What what does God not do when it comes to Jonah and giving him the second chance? Anybody see it? What does he not do? Yeah, he he doesn't say, hey, Jonah. Jonah, Jonah, Jonah. (laughs) Jonah. Woo, we got some talking to do. You remember that time when you ran away? Yeah. That wasn't smart, was it, Jonah? <laughs> you remember that time when you were sleeping in the boat when you should have been praying and, and, and kind of coming back to me? Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't good either, right? He, he, does he do any of that? There's no evidence of that at all. The fish vomits him up on the shore, and God goes, Hey, Jonah, second chance. Go to Nineveh. There's no recap of the first two chapters and and all Jonah's failures. God doesn't remind Jonah of any of that. He just says, great, I'm glad you've come to your senses. Let's get up and let's go on our way. There's a tremendous amount of grace in what's not said here, right? Tremendous amount. And and in the same way, the, the ultimate reality of God giving second chances and not holding grudges against us is what he has done for you and for me on the cross through his son. Paul puts it, I think, the best way possible when he says in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come, and all this is from God. In other words, you didn't do anything for it. It's from him. 
Because it's who he is. It's from him who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then it goes on and says that, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. The good news of the, of the gospel that we enjoy and love and serve God through is that God does not count your sins against you in his son, Jesus. That's the good news. And it's so good that it should shape your reality every single day. It is not one of those things where you pray a prayer at one point in your life and you go, God, thank you for that. Now I'm going to live on to a new topic and understand new things. It should grip us every day that we, when we get up that God has given us a second chance in his son is that, and that he does not hold anything that you've done against you. It, it's so extreme that God has taken all of your sins away from you and placed them on his son, that even if he were to look for something, he wouldn't find it. That's how complete and total the transforming work of Christ is for you in your life. That's how massive it is. And so you can wake up with the, with the understanding, with the reality each and every day. It doesn't matter what happened yesterday. I can come to God and I can find forgiveness in him knowing that he does not hold it against me. And the reason he doesn't hold it against you is because he held it against his son for you. That's the amazing thing about what God has done through Christ. All right. First is that God doesn't hold grudges. Secondly, God doesn't broker deals with us. What's the other thing that you notice is missing from God's command when he comes back to Jonah for the second chance. There's no I'm sorry. <laughs> right? God doesn't come to Jonah and go, you know, I've been thinking about what I asked you to do the first time. And uh, I had a little bit of a time to think about it while you were in the fish. <laughs> I didn't have anything else going on for three days. And uh, after thinking about it for some time, I've come to realize that the task that I gave you is just too difficult for you. And so I'm going to give you a lesser task. Don't go to Nineveh. Go to, go to the suburbs of Nineveh and, and buy a, a house and, and live on a, on a cul-de-sac, Jonah, and, and do things easy from this point on. I won't require so much of you from this moment on. Do you do any of that? Nope. What does he do? Get up. Go to Nineveh. <laughs> but God, right? No deal. Now that you see who you are and who I've created you to be, you're starting to understand who I am. I want you to get up and I want you to go and do the same exact thing I asked you to do before. God comes with the same call. He comes with the same purpose. He comes with the same set of responsibilities. There is no I'm sorry. There is no let's Let's figure this out together. God says, look, I, I gave you exactly what was necessary the first time so that you would have no other choice but to live your life according to my power and not yours. That's what God is doing. The, the best example of this that I can think of is the, is the guy named Paul from the New Testament who is like the greatest missionary force the world has ever seen. Uh, because God does the same thing in his life, but he gets the point. Jonah doesn't get the point. 
Paul gets it. And he's talking about it a little bit um, in 2 Corinthians when he says this. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And if you know any of what's happened here, Paul is sharing with the church. He says, I was on mission with God. I was doing my thing. And then all of a sudden, God gave me a thorn in my side. And we don't really know what that thorn was, but something was hindering him from accomplishing his mission. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. He said he prayed three times for God to remove it from him. And God says, nope. This was his response. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then I love this. This is where Paul gets the point, right? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You've got to love Paul, right? You have to love him. You can't kill him because he, he's like, if, if you kill me, I go to be with Jesus, and that's better than being here. Yeah? You can't put him in jail because he converts all the guards, and by the end of the day, they're all singing hymns. <laughs> you can't torture the guy because if you torture him, he's like, then in my pain, I remember Jesus and his suffering for me, and I'm all the more glad. Like, you can't touch the guy. No matter what you do, he comes out smelling like a rose. That's what I love about him. But he's illustrating a point for us that God takes away our power so that he can fulfill his power within us. Because here's the truth. If you aren't weak, he can't show himself to be strong. If God were to use the powerful people in the world, which, let me, you know, just hard reality here, we are not. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry for the, the, the wake-up call. Wah, wah. I know, this is still an uplifting sermon. This is what happens when I get a week off. I come back and I'm charged. If he were to use the powerful things in this world, then people would look at it and go, yep, it, it all happened because those people were powerful. They were able to use their power and money and influence to do things. It's just it's the way that the world works. God says, no, I'm going to reduce the power level of my people. I'm going to suppress it so that I can fill it with a power so that people see it. They can't come up with excuses that don't point to me. And so we, we wonder in our life, why is it that God doesn't broker a deal with us and make things easier for us? And the answer is, maybe he has laid that burden on you so that your power wouldn't be the thing that's driving your life, but his is. This is a tremendously helpful thing to know when we experience hardship, right? Because God has, in fact, given us his spirit to empower us. And so we should be more confident in God's power through his spirit than we are in ourselves. And every time we become more weak in life, we should be thanking God that he has removed from us this delusion that we can live without him. God's power is made perfect in weakness, and God doesn't broker a deal with us. So sometimes the most gracious thing God can do is to not make things easier for you. Sit on that one for a while, right? All right, number three is this. God never gives up on us either. Because God is gracious, he never gives up. He is always pursuing us. He is always giving us the second chance that we need, that we've always needed, through his son. And and we love to see second chances in life, right? Sometimes when we don't get them, it pains us the most. And uh, 
I remember growing up, I was kind of a lazy kid. Um, and, and my dad would come to me and he'd say, I got a job for you to do, all right? I need you to get up and I need you to go and complete this task for me. And normally it was something like outside, you know, mowing the lawn or shoveling the deck off with the three feet of snow that fell up in New England. And, and this one particular time I remember, and I wouldn't get the lesson. I'd get up whenever I wanted to, not when he wanted me to, and I'd go out and mow the lawn, which would totally screw up the day for my parents and what they had planned. Because my dad's going, look, if you just get up earlier, it'd be cooler out, and we'd be able to get some things done and spend some time together later on in the day. And I would put it off and put it off and put it off and do it when I got around to it. And so finally, my dad did something that really ticked me off. He, I, I put it off, and then I go up to go out to do the thing that he had asked me to do, which in this particular case was mowing the lawn. And he's in the backyard showing my little sister how to start the lawnmower. <laughs> well, you've got to be kidding me. You know how humiliating that is for a teenage boy? And their little sister's the one pulling on the chain. And she's got no arm strength, right? She can't do it. But she, my dad's showing her. Why? Because he wants to teach me a lesson about doing things in his time. I don't know where that relates to the rest of this. I just, this is a fun story. I think God was interested in Jonah the same way my dad was interested in me. He wanted me to learn the lesson in, his, in this situation by not giving me the second chance, but showing me that I wasn't necessary. Deep down, he, wanted, he, he understood that my sister wasn't going to be able to mow the lawn, but he was trying to teach me a lesson. In the same way, God uses second chances to communicate to us that he's never through with us. He, he wants us to understand something of his nature and that he's more interested in us than what he can do through us. Catch that, because that's a grace thing. To, for God not to be gracious is to live your life feeling like you need to prove something to God before he does something in you. God does not work that way. He does something in you so that he can do something through you, but he is more interested in you and not what you can do. He wants you, and he wants you to understand who he is. And so God could have raised someone else up in place of Jonah, right? It would, the book would have been called Jonah and Someone Else, which would have been a little awkward, but, but Jonah needs to see that God wants him. And that God doesn't need Jonah for the mission. Jonah needs the mission for God. Jonah needs to understand his mission and his identity so that he would be able to plug into who God is. That's the point of the story. And so if you're not dead, you're not done. And God's not done with you. And there's, there's, no, there's no greater example of this than the cross, right? God pursues us to the point of putting his own son to death so that he might give us life. That's, that's grace in a major way, right? What that says to us when we look at the cross is that there is no sin, there is no rebellion that is strong enough to fully walk away from the grace of God. He, he continues to pursue us even in the midst 
of our most horrendous rebellion against him. And here's the amazing thing about Jonah. Anybody read ahead to the end of the book? Does Jonah get the point? (laughs) No, not even after the second chance, right? He still misses the point. God gives him the second chance, and he screws up again. I love Jonah, you know? It gives me a whole lot of hope. And what it says to me is that God, give, he doesn't give up on us even, when he, even though he knows we're going to mess up the second time and a third time and a fourth time. He continues to give the, Jonah a second chance even though he's read the end of the book. See, the, the glory of God is that, it's not that he uses you because you're awesome. The glory of God is that he uses you despite you. So even though you you haven't measured up, and you won't, and you'll continue to fall, that's the point of him continuing to pursue you in grace and give you second chances. So that you would know that he gives them because he's gracious, not because you're good. Does that make sense? All right, last is this. God gives second chances to extend second chances. Notice that that God gives uh, Jonah his second chance through his original mission, which was what? Nineveh, right? I'm going to give you a second chance, but I'm going to do it through the original mission. So it says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. God gives Jonah the second chance, and then Jonah follows and obeys this opportunity to go to Nineveh. And then it's a really interesting thing that, that is included here, right? That Nineveh is an exceedingly great city, and it goes even further detail to say it, it takes three days' journey just to travel across it. What do you think made Nineveh so great? You think it was its population? Because it does include that a little bit later on. It says it had 120,000 people in it. You think it has to do with kind of a strategic place on the map, that it was a trade route or something, and that people kind of went in and out of it? You think it had to do with its sheer size and area, that it was just a massive place, you couldn't get around Nineveh without going through it? I think it could be all of those things, but the, the, the thing that, that keys me to maybe a deeper reality is that if you read in the, in the original Hebrew what it says about Nineveh, it says that Nineveh was a ir gadol la Elohim. So it is a city which was great, la Elohim, to God. It was a great city in the eyes of God. Now, there could be a number of reasons for that. But for whatever reason, God has, sho- has chosen to see Nineveh in a different light. And he says, I, it is great to me. We're starting to see a little bit of what God's intention is for this city of Nineveh. What God is up to here is not necessarily to destroy the city, although it seems like that's the case when we start this whole thing out but it's to give a second chance to the city of Nineveh. And here's the thing. 
Jonah is not willing to give Nineveh the second chance that God has been giving him. And God is saying, I have given you a second chance so that you will give a second chance to people like you who don't deserve it, Jonah. That's what God is up to here. And this is kind of the the missing element oftentimes when God does give us second chances in life. We think that God has done this solely for our purpose. And we say, thank you, God, for the second chance. I'm so glad that you put your son to death and you've given me life and I'm going to live in freedom. Um, But the rest of the world, they're going to hell in a handbasket. So rescue me out of here quickly. Rapture, please come. Right? We all all know people, or maybe we've said it ourselves, or had that kind of mentality, where, God, thank you for rescuing me. Now I'm going to lock all the doors on my house and pray that you come quickly, because the rest of the world, man, are they screwed up, you know? God has given you a second chance so that you will give other people a second chance. You want proof of it? Read the second half of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. We just read the first half a little bit ago. It says, And he committed to us, those who have been reconciled, the message of reconciliation. We, we, we cultivate, we are God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And so we implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why does God go to such great lengths to restore undeserving people to himself? It's so that we who have been reconciled and did not deserve that reconciliation would spend the rest of our lives committed and focused I'm sharing that message of reconciliation with other people that don't know it and don't deserve it. Same way that God was working in Jonah's life, he wants to work in your life. So have you been given a second chance? If you know Jesus, the answer is yes. It's a yes and amen. It can't be anything but that. And one of the reasons that God has brought that yes into your life so that you could pass it on to someone else. So that you could be the instrument of a second chance that God gives to someone else who's desperately in need of it. Same reason he did it for Jonah. God restores people to himself and then restores them to the mission according to their identity. And so God has a purpose for Jonah's second chance and for your second chance because he's not done with you. He's not done with us. I believe with all my heart that God wants to do something great in us and through us. As a church, if you don't know our story, because we've included a lot of people that haven't been here at the beginning, we are a people who have been given a second chance. We were a congregation. We were a, a group of citizens of the kingdom of God without a home who it looked very much like God was going to let us go to our own end, to find ourselves in other churches or in other places, that we weren't to band together. And then suddenly, 
At the eleventh hour, when all seemed lost, when it seemed like there, there was no future for us, he rallied around us and made for himself a people who had been given a second chance. It's part of our DNA as a church, yes? Those of you who have been here from the beginning, you know because we've been there. And if you haven't been here from the beginning, then, then you need to, to understand that we are a people that have ex- has experienced extravagant grace. And so why do we use our time to raise support to go to a people like Shadrach, Haiti? We do it to give them a second chance because God has given us one. We go into our neighborhoods and we look for people who are depressed and without hope, who seem like God will never give them a second chance. And we speak the truth into their life as a neighbor and a friend and a potential brother and sister in Christ. And we say, no, 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 God is not done with you. He is not done with you. There is hope because his son has paid your price. You can have a second chance through him. And God is giving it to you. And that's the reason I live next door to you. What if you saw your neighborhood as one big opportunity for a second chance for all your neighbors. You'd start to be connecting into the grace of God for your life on mission with him. Because he's given you a new identity in him as somebody who is undeserving and yet given an unobligated gift so that you would have a change of heart in your life and then go share that with someone else. It's our story as a church, but it's your story, too. Because all of us are part of the story of God. And so that that gives me a lot of hope. And so wherever you happen to be today, uh, you may be kind of on the the other end of the spectrum where you just need to know that God's a God of grace. Maybe you're in need of second chance. And I'm here to tell you that he will offer you that second chance. But even for those of us that have been part of of God's second chance for us, we need to know that there is a purpose behind it. And it's not out of obligation, right? It it is a joy for those of us that have been freed to go and free others. Because it's part of our story. It's who we are. So wherever you happen to be today, we're going to pray, and and I'm going to pray for you, and uh, then we're going to respond through worship, okay? Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you so much that you give your grace and your second opportunities to us, not because of who we are and how we shape up, but because of who you are. And so I I pray that no matter what we need to hear today, that we we would really take this opportunity and bring our need before you. And so if if we have been looking for a second chance from you or from others and trying to prove ourselves, trying to earn it ourselves, and and maybe we just feel burnt out because of that, I pray, Father, that those of us in that place would realize that in Christ there is nothing left to prove because you did it for us. Maybe we are in a situation where we're keeping our distance from you because We've been taught or we've experienced that you are angry with us. 
And so, God, I pray that if we're in that situation, we would understand that your wrath has been satisfied through your son's sacrifice and that there is nothing left for you to be angry with. That we are now accepted into your family. Maybe we're angry with you because we've experienced something in our life and it just seems like it's too heavy for us to bear. And I pray that we would take an opportunity to ask you, why have you brought this to me? What do I need to learn about my weakness and your strength through it? could be that we feel like we've been passed over in life and that we are useless. And God, I pray that if, it's, if that's us, we would know and understand that you are not finished with us yet. Because all of us, in some shape and some form, we need to know that you're gracious. We need to know that your grace covers us and that you accept us and that you give us a second chance because of who you are. And because of that, we can live, and I pray, Lord, as a congregation, as a people, we would live with the con- with the confidence that we don't need to wander through life trying to prove ourselves or trying to shape up because the cross is proof that we can't, but it's also proof that we don't need to. So God, we thank you for your grace and the second chance that you've given us through your son.